first of all, uh, how many uh, Gospels is this account recorded in? I mean, how would you know that? But anybody want to have a guess? Is it one, two, three, or four? So well, I'll give you multiple choice questions here. Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? So we're going three, quite a few. Is it four? The threes have it. You are right. It is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is the synoptic gospels. They all record this account. It's obviously important and significant. Okay, one other question. What three characteristics define this man? This is a this is a straight question. Come on, let's have some answers. What three characteristics? Sorry? Young, rich, a seeker. Yeah, yes, okay, that's a fourth. That's a fourth one. Proud. Hmm. He's a ruler. Thank you. Yes, he was powerful. Okay, well done. Now then, let's have a look at this. Um, just remember the context of this story we've, we, we're reading here. Um, in Luke chapter 18, there's been some uh, various accounts which speak about really our attitude. Uh, so, for example, there was the parable which Jesus told just before this one, uh, before this account, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And um, one was full of himself and full of his self-importance. And then the tax collector said, I've got nothing. And they both came to God in prayer with their attitudes on display. And of course, Jesus says, the one who is humble, who sees, sees that he has got nothing, is the one who will be declared righteous. Humility is an essential prerequisite to us receiving the kingdom of God. And then straight after that parable, Jesus moves to an account where some children are brought to him. And one of the lessons that he brings out of that account is that if we are to have, um, to have the kingdom of God, we are to have a childlike faith. We're to come in humility and trust to him. So now we have this encounter with this rich young ruler. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all want to tell us this very real story, even though this story has an unhappy end. But it is a searching story. Imagine if it was you and Jesus. Imagine if Jesus was having this conversation with you. I wonder what that conversation would look like. In Mark's Gospel, we're told that he is a young man. Okay, so... Some of us know exactly what that feels like, to be young. Okay, uh, sorry, anyway, that was supposed to be a joke. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I know what it's like. If you're young, what do you feel? You, you feel like you're invincible, don't you? You feel like you are untouchable. You feel like you, you know, you are never going to be hurt. You can drive however you like, uh, whatever. Um, you're invincible. You feel like maybe you know everything as well. Um, but of course, being young is also exciting, isn't it? You've got the whole world ahead of you. You've got choices to make, and you've got all sorts of opportunities in front of you. The question for this young man is, is he going to make the right choices for his life? So he's young. He's a ruler. He's got power, okay? He's a powerful person. Many people seek and long to have some power. This guy has youth on his side and he has power as well and then furthermore thirdly he is very 
rich, we're told. In verse 23, he has great wealth. So he's young, rich, and powerful. I mean, this guy has everything that the world could possibly offer. It's all his. But he's ambitious. He wants more. In verse 18, we see him come to Jesus and say, Master, good master, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knows that he still is lacking something. And he knows that there is something more. How can he inherit eternal life? He wants that as well as where everything else he has. Now, I think that in this encounter, we see three vital lessons. The first is this, how wrong we can get ourselves. This guy seems to have a, a kind of superficial understanding of holiness and of his holiness. He's really got big blind spots, but he can't see his weaknesses and his blind spots. And we see this in a couple of ways. First of all, he calls Jesus good teacher. And of course, Jesus replies to him and says, oh, why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except God. Now, there are those who say, uh, well, that means that Jesus is saying that he's not God because, and he's not good. Well, that's, that's not what it's saying. I mean, Jesus doesn't say that he's a sinner here. What Jesus says is God is good. The Bible, the Old Testament, all the rabbis agreed. The only person, the only one who is truly good is God. And then he says, now you've just called me good. So what do you think that means about me? It's kind of drawing a bit of an inference to help this guy think about what does he mean when he says good? What does this man think good is? And there's an inference there. But tragically, the man, the young man, doesn't get the drift. If only he could see how God, how good God is, and also how unfit he is, he would cry for mercy rather than complacently seek a reward. Because what, what Jesus is doing with this guy is making him think about what does he mean by good? This is just a superficial religious observance which this guy has done since he was young or is there something deeper is there something more important something more profound about true goodness about true holiness this guy is using good in a very superficial way i mean these days i remember my dad was completely um kind of triggered a few years ago when suddenly young people would always an suddenly answer him he'd say oh how are you and and people would say oh i'm good do you know how that, that slipped into our vocabulary, didn't it? I mean, we always used to say, I'm fine, I'm well, I'm fine, thank you. Now everybody says, I'm good. Um, and my dad was like, no, what do you mean you're good? What, what do you, that's a strange way of answering that question. How are you? I'm good. But we do, don't we? We all kind of just say that, I'm good. Um, what do we mean by good? It's a superficial kind of understanding of true goodness, of course. And, and this guy is kind of really just trotting out good teacher. But hang on, have you thought about what you mean by true holiness, by true goodness? And then Jesus further exposes this man's heart. 
because he lists off five of the commandments that from the second half of the table of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments, and they are five commandments relating to murder and adultery and theft and honoring your father and mother and those kinds of things. And the way that this young man responds immediately reveals how very superficial he really is. Because he says, well, since my youth, I have obeyed all of these commands. He's not thought deeply enough about what these commands are really calling for. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, that if anyone claims to be without sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. If we're really honest with ourselves, we transgress these commands all the time. And yet this man had this blind spot. He thought that he'd followed the observances, he'd followed on the outside, he looked like a very religious person, he looked better than the people around him, so he thought he was good. And Jesus is exposing the fact that there is something missing. In Psalm 51, David says, Surely I was sinful from birth, but Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. There's an inner holiness that God requires. I remember many years ago, um, there was a couple who uh, reached out to us from this community and they wanted to find out about Christianity. And so we did this just looking course with them. It was a predecessor to Alpha. Um, and we go went around their homes and over, over a period of a few weeks, we kind of went through this course, just explaining the Bible, explaining Christianity and so on. Um, and uh, they were a respectable couple, a nice couple. Um, we came to the final evening where the course kind of brought it to a head and said, right, so, you know, um, do you need to confess any sins? Do you want to become a Christian? And it kind of listed the Ten Commandments. And the question came up, how many of these Ten Commandments have you broken? And um, they said, well, yeah, maybe a couple of them. And Arnold was actually there, and he challenged them and said, I reckon you've broken all of them. And they kind of went through and of course, if you look at Matthew 5, where Jesus says that if you hate somebody, that's, that's as good as murder in terms of, um, obviously it isn't the same, but in terms of sinfulness, it's, it's murderous thinking. Um, or if you have adultery in your heart, lust in your heart, and so on. And he went through and they said, actually, yeah, we have. We have broken all of these commandments. And then they actually went off to some cupboards and got some stuff out that they knew was not right. And they, they had a fire in their lounge uh, going and they actually burnt some of it. And they put some stuff in the rubbish bin because they said, oh, my word, there's stuff that we didn't realize. Suddenly they were exposed and realized that they needed God's mercy. No man who is truly spiritual will claim to be without sin. Rather, he will cry with the Apostle Paul, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I know that no, nothing good dwells within me. Romans chapter 7. So we see, first of all, that this man has a superficial understanding of himself and of his own righteousness. The second thing that we see in this passage is what harm a master sin can have upon a soul. 
Jesus moves in to the kill with this guy. He's like a surgeon kind of moving in to the real cancerous bits because he challenges him. One thing you lack, he says, sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Jesus knows that this man has an idol in his heart that he cannot let go of or he doesn't want to let go of. And so um, he, he says to him, would you be willing to give up the most precious thing which you have in your life? And, and yet there are people who will give up a lot for God except that one darling sin that they hold dear and they cannot think that they could ever let go of it. There's this um, trick that uh, apparently is called the South Indian monkey trap. And um, apparently what you can do, I remember watching a, a little wildlife film about this once when I was a kid. Um, but what they can do, of course, if you want to catch a monkey, how do you catch a monkey? Uh, well, what you do is you put some nuts or, or a banana or something inside a hollowed out coconut shell, which is chained to something secure. Uh, and then the monkey, uh, who has always learnt that he should get hold of food and then once he's got hold of it, he should never let go of it, puts his hand in, grabs it, and now he's trained himself never to let go so he can't get his fist out of the coconut shell and, and he just can't bring himself to let go and therefore he is caught and uh, cannot get free. There is this phenomenon called the Einstellung effect. I'm sure you've all heard of it. The Einstellung effect. Um, what it is is this, that people can't see beyond their own preconceptions. They've actually done experiments, for example, with chess players, good chess players, where they will present a scenario to these chess players where there would be an easy five-move solution to, to get to checkmate, or there would be a more, more obscure three-move uh, way to get to checkmate. But most of the chess players went for the route they knew and the, five, the easy five-route way because they couldn't see past what they had always kind of uh, thought and done. And it's called the Einstellung effect, that people can't see beyond what they're used to. A and so they can't see a different way of doing things. So here's this, here's this monkey who has always learned, you, if you get hold of food, you do not let go of it. Now he's in a new scenario where to let go of food would mean freedom. But he's never been in that scenario before. He can't see past his, his preconceptions. So he can't let go of the food, so he can't be free, you see. And what Jesus is saying to this rich young man is, look, if you could only see past your obsession with your possessions and let go of them, I know up until now they've given you all the security you need and all the, the, the uh, confidence you need, but there is a better way. If you could only let go, there, and there would be me, Jesus. There would be freedom, true freedom. And it's not, it's not always money that is the issue. There's all sorts of issues that can lay hold of people that can be kind of 
and uh, master sins in people's lives. King Herod was very happy to hear Jesus and listen to Jesus. But when he was challenged about Herodias, a wrong relationship, he couldn't let go and it ruined his soul. Jesus is making an invitation to us and he is making an invitation to this man. Let go of the nuts and you can be free. And the man was thinking, I can't. It's all that I know. And Jesus is implying, well, then it's all you're ever going to know. That idol is all that you're ever going to know. But Jesus is like a surgeon, as I've already said. Um, a surgeon, imagine if you um, had to uh, go through a bunch of scans and so on and tests, and then you went to see the surgeon, and the surgeon said to you, right, well, I've got some bad news. We found something, but I've got some good news, which is that we can sort of, we can deal with it. But let me spell out what that's going to involve, right? And you're going to have to be willing to submit to the surgeon's knife, and you're going to have to go through all sorts of change and inconvenience and so on to get this dealt with. But if you're willing to submit to those things, then it can be dealt with. What do you want to do? And Jesus is like that surgeon who says to us, there is a problem, but I can deal with it. But it's going to involve some disruption. And it's going to involve submitting to my knife that I might do some surgery on your soul. What do you want? And this man has got this choice right now. Will he submit to Jesus, to Jesus' remedy, or not? You see, Jesus doesn't tell everybody to give up their money. But he knew that for this man, this was the issue, and therefore this was the remedy, that he had to let go of it in order to be free. This was his idol. What's your idol? What is it that you hold on to that you can't let go of? What is it that you would find difficult to really trust God completely in? What would be the thing that you could say, I, I, this is my security blanket. I'm used to it. I've always had it. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't know what my life would be like. I can't let go of this thing. But actually, if you do, you know what? You'll find true freedom and you'll find Jesus in his fullness. What is it? What is it that God wants you in 2023 to move forward in in your life? I want to encourage us in 2023 to believe God that he can change us for the better, that he can deal with issues in our lives for his good, for his glory and for our good, that he can move us forwards. We don't have to be stuck in the old ways. Because that's the only way that we've ever known. Because we can move into new ways with him and into new freedom by trusting him completely. And we see here that this rich young man, money is his security blanket. And Jesus actually says that it's, it's impossible for, uh, it's like um, threading a, a, a camel through the eye of a needle. You see the humorous example that Jesus uses there, um, but he says, you know, that's how difficult it is for a rich person 
to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, because I think those who are wealthy can feel that they are untouchable. They can feel that they're unaccountable. They can feel that no one's going to challenge them because people are afraid of them or people want favors from them. And therefore, they feel that they are bulletproof. They feel that they can get away with stuff because they've always got money to sort the problem out. They feel that they can, they can, they can just do whatever they want to do and they're unaccountable, you know. Um, they can, I mean, Andrew Tate can say, apparently, you know, look how many Bugattis I've got. You can't touch me. But actually, ultimately, that's not a reliable thing for us to trust in. But we can hold on to things because we think that is going to make us safe. But actually, it's not a reliable thing, ultimately, at all. And we can hold on to, to all sorts of things, to, to lust or to envy or to gluttony or to drink or to anger or unforgiveness or worry or the love of money. We can find that we just can't help spending or we can hold on to career. Whatever it is, these things, we're just so used to them that we cannot let go. We're stubborn lot, aren't we? Let's be honest. Human beings, we are very stubborn. But Jesus wants us to be free. And what's so wonderful here, and this is what I want to finish with, is this. How mighty is the power of God's grace to overcome every obstacle. Because we see at the end here that though this man does not take this opportunity, it seems, although there are those who have claimed that this is actually the Apostle Paul and that he did go away and then he changed, but I don't think there's any proof of that. It appears that this man did not take this opportunity. But Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can save rich people and help rich people to honor him with their wealth and to avoid the temptations of wealth and to be generous with their wealth and to be fully fledged followers of Jesus Christ despite their wealth. God's grace can enable people to live for him in any circumstance of life. There is no place, there is no situation, there is no position, there is no person who is beyond the grace of God for God to bring change. Whoever you are, we can disqualify ourselves. We can say, I'm, I'm too young, I'm just not in the right place. We can say, I'm, I'm too old, I'm just all set in my ways. I've just always been like that. I can't change now. Well, God's grace can bring change at any stage in our lives. We might say, well, I'm too far gone. I've made too many choices. No, no, no. God's grace is enough to bring you through. We could say, well, I'm too busy. You could say, I'm, I'm too poor. I'm too rich. Whatever. God's grace is sufficient for anyone in any situation, in any position in life. It matters not to God whether you're burdened with riches or pinched with poverty 
it's about God's grace. It's not about the place that you're in in life. God's grace can get through. God's grace can break through. He can bring transformation. I love what we've been singing and celebrating this morning. Shimona had no idea at all what we were going to be doing. But God's been speaking to us this morning. Nothing is impossible for him. Folks, let's believe it. Let's know that he is sufficient. And if we trust him, we can, we can find joy, freedom. We can find breakthrough. We can find his grace in every circumstance. But Jesus asks us a very searching question today. Is there anything that you need to let go of? Is there anything that you need to stop trusting in instead of trusting in him? Is there anything that is an idol in your heart that actually is stopping you from being free? And he's saying, come on, come on, let go. I know you've never done this before. I know it's scary, but you can because there is grace. Let's pray. I just want to encourage us to be in God's presence as we respond right now. And God is doing a work amongst us this morning. So I want to encourage you to bring yourself, your life, your heart before God. There's nothing, we can't hide from him. He sees it all. So right now, if there is any part of your life you just think, Lord, okay, you're the surgeon. I trust you. Lord, I give that to you. I, I submit to you. I submit to you in this area of my life. it all at your feet. You're the only one I need. One way, Jesus. Christ alone, cornerstone. give it all to you we we thank you lord that your grace is sufficient thank you that that lord despite all our weaknesses your grace is there for us <laughs> thank you lord that we are loved by you you looked at this man and you loved him it says in mark's gospel you love us lord it's because you love us God, I pray we'd know your love right now. We'd know that you only want to do us good. So, Lord, forgive us. We repent to God. We let go right now. We let go of those things. Oh, God, we trust you.
we're, we're secure with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask us to stand? Uh, we're just going to, Shimona came up with a song, which, which is, yes, please, let's do that. And folks, 